to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have my very good friend Nadia here with me again today to discuss Luke 17, uh, Temptations to Sin and Faith. Welcome, Nadia. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really happy to be returning. (laughs) Well, we've kept in touch quite a bit since our last um, foray into Bible study in podcast form. Um, But uh, since then... Uh, how has your faith grown or changed? I would say it's um, it's grown a lot. The the key thing I would focus on and share uh, is that I, I kind of recently solidified a belief in free will um, and kind of yeah under became much less of a determinist. Um, I have this I had this friend uh, and we had a conversation. She was sharing with me about some. Uh, she listened to our last episode actually, uh, and it brought up a lot of thought for her. And, um, so she, she was mentioning this article, uh, that she had read kind of a scholarly thing about how there's evidence for consciousness in stars, um, in the way that sort of, there's some perspective that the way, um, relativity works and the way matter and time interact, um, that there's sort of these, two possible timelines that are presented or, or more, um, within, um, within these situations that I guess just stars are in, um, and just that, that massive amount of matter and energy. Um, and, um, that there's kind of evidence for this distinction between two timelines that is just sort of up to a whim. Um, and that, and that I kind of come from faith with this basis of like, I I feel like I need some sort of physical basis or logical basis. It's like really key element of, of understanding. Um, and if I can believe in this sort of initial physical spark for the universe, I can believe in God through that. Or if I can believe in this sort of, uh, chosen distinction between two timelines or two version of events, I can sort of extrapolate that to believe in, uh, free will and choice. Um, and it, uh, it really, really shifted how I view Christianity and how I view scripture, um, in a way that I, I felt like I was really needing, um, cause it, it was so hard for me to think about things like sin or, um, agency or, or meaning when I felt like I was just having to kind of force myself into believing that I really had a choice and that things weren't just set up to fall in, in one certain way. That's interesting. I mean, this is um, sort of related to an episode I did just recently with Thomas J. Ord and talking about open and relational theology and the, um, the, the understanding of God that some people have that I'm sort of kind of inching closer and closer to completely embracing that um, it's kind of up to us that like it's our lives that we have to live. And while you can surrender your soul to God and you can 
um, surrender your mind to the wisdom of Scripture and um, uh, yourself over to prayer, you cannot surrender the entirety of the actions of your life to a God that may not push you in the direction that you need to go all the time. Right. Uh, it would be so easy if we could just say, all right, you know, it's like literally Jesus, take the wheel. Let's go. And it's not that simple. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. I was actually listening to that episode this morning kind of to just get myself in the, in the transcript Snoopy presents the Bible zone. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so I listened to the first half or so of that episode, uh, on my way here. And, um, I was shocked how, how relevant, uh, what he was talking about was, um, and, and just that it was so kind of right on the nose as far as what I have been grappling with or thinking about recently and, uh, really helpful to hear his perspective. Um, I remember in, in, our earlier episode, episode 15, um, at one point you said, um, something along the lines of, um, I don't know if I can believe in a God who just lets suffering happen and lets evil happen, but I, I have an easier time believing in a God who can't do anything about that. And at the time I was kind of like, <laughs> sounds sounds uh sounds unscriptural um which is the same same response that um uh that he, he was speaking about just in in that last episode um and uh it was so funny to sort of hear myself echoed in in you know the response to his theology um um and and having you sort of grasping at that um it, it, it would seem before you know, you really were too familiar with his perspective on that. Yeah. It's uh, it's especially relevant to what we're going to be talking about today because um, the nature of sin is uh, something that is talked about a lot in the Bible. Um, like sin is an action taken by a person that is contradictory to the teachings of God, to the wisdom of God to what Jesus says that we um, need to do and how we need to live. Um, and not just Jesus, but, you know, the Jesus of, of, of old, <laughs> God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the whole, uh, the whole thing is wrapped up in how are we behaving on this earth, especially the Old Testament is so committed to creating a rule book for living. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with that rule book is it has been kind of piecemealed out to say, this is the sin that we need to focus on and this one, don't worry about it. This is the way that we need to focus our minds. Uh, this is how we need to dress for church, but don't worry about this food restriction or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if if all of the, um, the things that are forbidden in the Bible are sin, yet we have somehow kind of allowed some of them in modern Christianity to just go unchecked, then what does that say to all of the other rules? Why is it that some of them can be left behind and some of them have to be focused on? Mm -hmm. And uh, how is it that we are allowed to sin if we are to understand God as all-powerful, all-knowing, and, um, and all-acting? Mm -hmm. This is where what we were just talking about comes in, that our free will is given to us 
like as this gift from God, right? And I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who believes that God can literally pick you up from the sky and move you to another place or can literally strike you down with lightning and thunder. Um, how, do we, how do we portray that God then that says, yeah, go ahead, um, screw up your whole life. It's just gonna be a little fire in the end. It's not gonna be, you know, go ahead. It's, it's your choice. Right. Yeah. And these, these sort of modern Christian perspectives on sin, uh, were, and also my sort of recent perspective shift on will were the main reasons I wanted to focus on sin in our episode. Um, and why I asked if, if uh, you would want to have me on for another episode. Um, cause I think the, maybe the thing I value most about this show is, is questioning these sort of modern assumptions, um, and modern assumptions that people who have been pushed away from Christianity, um, have, have absorbed just through, you know, the context of, of only being around Christians who, who don't question these things. Um, and I think sin is, is maybe one of the biggest sticking points with that, uh, where it's so easy for, for people sort of who feel alienated by modern Christians, uh, to see this, uh, these, con- these contradictions and at times hypocrisy, um, with sort of selective interpretation, um, and especially this, um, you know, condemnation of your brother and, and the, to ostracize them and alienate them, uh, over, um, sin. I mean, we're both, um, we both share a highly politicized identity uh, that is sort of a, a sticking point uh, in today's uh, conversations uh, about sin on more of a, a cultural level. And, um, you know, there's a big conversation about how to combat sin on a cultural level. It's one of the sort of main concerns of conservative Christianity um, and sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the war horse or the emblem of, of this crusade, um, and, and, uh, the problem to tackle. Um, and, uh, that when people can see, you know, flaws in that, in that armor and in that, um, in that weapon, um, it's, it's really hard for people to, you know, even consider opening their ears to someone who calls themselves a Christian. I think that, the major thing that has changed in the last year, like, I mean, it's really like about a year and a half since I intensely decided, like, I'm going to get back into this. Like, I'm going to commit myself to faith in some way or another. And, um, but in the last, you know, the last really, I guess, nine months, I've been kind of trying to refine a version of faith that makes sense to me, uh, a way that's the, it's been the experiment of this show, to be honest. It's been, um, it's been me figuring out exactly where this fits in my life or any of our lives. I mean, if you listen to the very first episode of this show compared to uh, where I'm at now, my beliefs, my theology, I mean, it's all my, my politics even are very different than where they were at the beginning of the show. And I hope that everyone will forgive me for being a hypocrite, I guess, for putting it on record that I believed this one thing so many months ago and and now I feel quite different about it. But uh, sin itself is the thing that has really changed for me because when I first came back to faith and really started to commit myself to God and, and try to connect to God, um, what I believe sin to be was what was forbidden in Scripture. 
that was how I pictured sin. Um, this rule is a is a checkbox. If you do that, you are sinning. Check mark. There you go. You've sinned. Um, how that's changed for me is now I don't really see sin that way. I see sin as an act that is um, contradictory to the loving grace and forgiving um, presence of God. So it's not that, um, and this is where it gets complicated because like we have laws that we have to abide by in the world. We have things that we have to do in order to not get arrested and go to jail. There are um, bits of scripture that say specific things about what we ought not do. But ultimately, our guiding morality is somewhere in our hearts. It's not really coming from outside of us. The laws that society has put in place are oftentimes unjust. Um, the, the things that the, the, the government that oversees us tells us to do are oftentimes wrong. So that's not our guiding principle. And just like that, I think some of the things that are forbidden in the Bible or told to be sin in the Bible are not, in fact, sin, because I think that they lived in a very legalistic society back then, and they had to um, they had to construct this. This is essentially their law book along with their, their scripture. So how I picture sin now is, is more um, something that will hurt others or hurt myself something that will cause conflict or strife, um, uh, something that will betray the trust of someone that I love. Um, that to me is sin now. How do you, how do you picture sin in your mind? Like what, when you feel like you've sinned, what is it that action, like what internal feeling has that action inspired? Like, is that because you feel like someone told you not to do it? Or is it because it comes from inside of you? Right. Yeah, I actually um, view sin extremely similarly um, and more and more over the past uh, few months. Probably, um, you know, your shift in perspective has definitely influenced mine. Um, and yeah, I really deeply agree. And whenever I sort of share that perspective, like um, with that friend I mentioned or with my sister or with my my ex-partner, um, uh, it's, it's a much more understandable and, and sort of reasonable, um, or it, it's, it's something that sits so much easier with people, um, than this view of, uh, breaking a, a rule in the book and that being the issue. Um, <clears throat> the way I'll mostly describe it is as, um, sowing bad seeds. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, oftentimes sin is, the easiest thing, um, and the thing that maybe even feels right or justified in the moment. Um, but there is some sense that like, this will not be the best for me in the long term, And, and it's not always possible even to, um, listen to that. You just often don't have the resources, um, to, to make a different choice than, than to sin and to sow a seed that when you reap it will be rotten. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I mostly sort of attach it back to this sense that, that sin is its own punishment and that virtue is its own reward where, um, you know, the basis for our existence in, in the way I see it, um, is that we are, you know, um, sort of the mind and the body and the spirit are one, but I think that the spirit is sort of the most 
central to our experience and the most, um, foundational and, uh, there is sort of misery that will spread out, uh, to your, to your mind and especially your mind and also your body when you are neglecting or, or poisoning your, your spirit through, through these things where you just, you just know and have the sense that this is not nourishing my spirit. This is harming my spirit. And that this, uh, this feels bad to me on that level, even if it feels good to my mind or good to my body. Um, and you know, it, I, I really view the spirit as sort of the the beginning and the end. Um, and that's, you know, also, also the way I view, you know, God as being within us and, and us being a part of God, um, is that we, we have this spirit, we carry this spirit. And, um, I, I do think it's more, uh, you know, much, much less temporary, um, but it does progress through time. Um, I'm also, I'm reminded of, uh, this line from, uh, the, the Tao Te Ching, um, which is like one of the, the texts, uh, within Taoism, uh, it's by Lao Tzu. Um, and it's just sort of this book of poetry, um, but there's, there's one poem within it, uh, to, to paraphrase, it's something like, um, ritual is, um, an alienated version of morality. Um, morality is an alienated version of religion. Religion is an alienated version of spirituality and spirituality is an alienated version of sort of the, the true spirit or the true sort of um, you know, whether you see it as God or, or even sort of God as this, um, degree of alienation, not necessarily alienation, um, but just sort of this like fallen level of, of sort of this realm of infinite potential and, and complete oneness and just sort of, um, complete ineffability. Um, I think the poem cuts off after, after saying, um, you know, something like religion is a degree of alienation away from the Tao, um, which is, is how that sort of realm of infinite potential is referred to. Um, but I really like that. And I really come back to that. Um, and I don't think that it's saying that, you know, any of those things are necessarily bad, but they are sort of this easier. It, it's like going in this direction of being easier to digest through language and more simple to our minds, but, less connected to our spirits and, and less sort of in harmony with this greater spirit. Um, and that sort of obfuscation that, that comes with more and more language or more and more direct understanding through the mind, um, or more and more, uh, focus on physical sensation, um, that, uh, that sort of matrix uh, speaks to me a lot and, and is relevant to a lot of my understanding of things. I think that, first of all, that's beautiful. Uh, and, and that's like an, a brilliant way to consider the Protestant argument of um, building a, an entire religion of ritual, building an entire religion that bases itself on um, uh, this is when we do this, and this is when we do this, and this is when we do this, and this is the feast day of this, and this is the... the um, the time when we pray this prayer is um, restrictive and perhaps not the best way to truly encounter God. Um, I'm not 
necessarily interested in, in fighting a fight like that, but it is like an, an interesting argument to say, yes, if your entire religion is just a series of rituals, then perhaps you've kind of lost the plot here on how we should view spirituality. But I think in regards to sin, traditional or more conservative, I should say, theologies would, um, would say that our view, what we're discussing about sin, how we see sin to be is um, just this kind of like libertine, like, well, if it feels good, then do it. If it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. And that's the risk that you run up against Mm -hmm. when you're not following a specific set of rules that, um, and this is, I think those sorts of people are more likely to be biblical inerrantists to be um, people who say, yes, the, the book is written how the book is written, uh, and, and it's already written, so we don't need to adapt it or change it at all. We don't live in a society that will ever change, which is insane, obviously, from my perspective, <laughs> but um, there are a lot of people who kind of think, well, sin is what it is, uh, and your view of sin, this view of sin that that has a lot more to do with relational um, feelings between people and within ourselves and how we communicate with God in a very, like a less rigid way could potentially give itself over to um, just saying, well, the things that are good, the things that are not sin are the things that make me feel good. And the things that are not good are the things that make me feel bad. And that's, I, I think that what I would say to that argument is, fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, it's not that. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a disingenuous argument to begin with, but I know that that's one that people would kind of like uh, launch at what we're talking about right now because um, it, this is not, what I'm saying is not to say, uh, well, if, if, if it's all good right now, then it's all good. That's not it. It's about, how we all experience this life together and how God is experiencing it with us. And, um, and yeah, we'll make mistakes in this. Just like we made mistakes when we wrote the rule book, right? Because obviously, since we've thrown out the whole thing with shellfish and we've thrown out the whole thing with cutting our beards and, and thrown out the whole thing with covering our heads and, and mm-hmm. there's all these other rules that now we just don't pay attention to, um, maybe we should consider that this could be adaptive that yeah. sin, sin may not be um, concrete. Yeah, and so much of Jesus's message uh, and, and what he spoke about in the Gospels was um, that, you know, you people have lost sight of the Spirit and you people have, have stopped. Um, you, you've lost your understanding that all of this is only for the Spirit and to nurture the Spirit and to embody God's love. Um and you've stopped questioning what the best way to do that is, and you need to start. Uh, m- like, the thing that I think people lose about Jesus so often is uh, he was a very contemplative dude. Like, he really did want people to think a little bit harder about how they were acting and what they were doing and what they perceived to be the right way of doing things. He was inherently kind of countercultural at the time. So, so think a little bit harder. Don't Mm -hmm. depend simply on what you've been told. Uh, Rather um, think about how it is now, not how it was. 
Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we've we've gone a little bit yeah <laughs> into a, a digression. Maybe we should um, read a little bit of scripture and then and then we'll we'll see if we can tie that back to this whole conversation we yeah. were just having. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. So Luke 17, I'm back in the, um, the ESV today. I have the Oxford study Bible, REV. Love the footnotes in that one. Really yeah. like super helpful in finding out like, wait, that sounds familiar. And it just it really says right at the bottom. Me. Yeah. There, that's, that's it really helped me with looping back to the other gospels and seeing sort of the same events in the same moment. Um, but in different chapters that I would have no idea how to find otherwise. So the header in the ESV says temptations to sin. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There's a lot in Mm -hmm. that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the main thing it says to me is this priority, this in, incredible priority on nurturing the spirit and to not be interrupting, uh, but to be helping others nurture their spirit. Um, and I, I know the context for this, uh, this conversation is, is sort of, um, that there are a bunch of children around. Um, and that, that's what he's referring to with the little ones, just that, um, he's, he's speaking with them as an example, just that, um, if someone should, should sin against these children and, and harm the, the nurturing of their spirit, um, that it would be better if they just died and didn't do that because <laughs> it's so, it's so destructive to the most important part of human experience. Is, is, that's kind of what I take from this. That I think that context is important in understanding why um, this topic came up and what Jesus is referring to, obviously, when he says these little ones. But I think that you could frame this in a way of um, spiritual maturity versus spiritual immaturity, and that those that know better um, are kind of being told to not allow or not be um, someone who is a part of the temptation uh, to sin for those that maybe are still growing in their faith and aren't completely matured in their faith. Um, the the mm-hmm. thing that really stuck out to me in the footnotes on the ESV was the Greek use of um, stumble rather than sin. It's actually uh, stumbling. The temptations to sin is footnoted as uh, Greek stumbling blocks. And again, um, where it says, he should cause one of these little ones to sin again. The Greek says stumble. So mm. obviously the words, the specific words that the Bible uses for um, parts of spirituality will change because, well, language changes and that's just how it is. But the image of a stumbling block rather than a sin is important to me because a sin in um, the way that we understand it in sort of modern Christianity is something that like damns you 
Whereas a stumbling block is simply something that you trip over Mm -hmm. and it sucks and you like skin your knee and you like twist your ankle. Uh, (laughs) I broke my toe a couple of weeks ago and (laughs) that's just what that reminded me of. Um, But you get over it. You know, the toe heals, the ankle um, is unsprained and the knee um, is healed and the skin goes back to normal and you can actually recover from that. Mm -hmm. Whereas the idea of saying a sin feels like more doomed. But then Jesus goes on to say that if if someone sins against you, you need to forgive them. Uh, over and over and over and over again, seven times in one day. If somebody pissed me off seven times in one day, I don't know that I would be that easily convinced <laughs> to say yeah. you're forgiven. Yeah, there's very much uh, within our culture, like, you know, you need to not, you need to have boundaries and not let people, you know, if, if someone genuinely apologizes um, and makes some sort of, amends or commitment to change, then that's great. And you can continue on. But if, if they do it again, you're out, buddy, uh, it's <laughs> over. Um, and that is not what's being said here. Um, the, the line, if your brother does wrong, uh, reprove him. And if he repents, forgive him, um, is what I have in the, the REV. Um, I wonder if there is more of a context for that being sort of an intra community Christian thing, uh, with the rebuking, because I really see that line as such a great opportunity for people to say, Jesus wants us to, um, tell random people when they've sinned, uh, or or that that is, you know, it is important to evangelize, evangelize, or, um, you know, uh, be helping, uh, whatever people around you, uh, with this, uh, language of sin or, or something like that. Um, so I'm curious if there's, if there's any context you have about brother there. Well, the use of brother, I think is important. I don't, I don't know what the, um, what the original writer's intent was with that, but I know that, um, when you hear someone say, if your brother sins against you, then you immediately have a familial connection. So yeah, to me, that reads more like, if someone in your community, someone who's already a part of of your group or your family sins against you, then rebuke them. I don't know that it's saying like go find strangers on the street that are wearing a, you know, a a, a shirt that's too low cut and tell them they're a slut or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. that to me doesn't really um, pencil as far as what they're referring to here. But then it also might cast doubts on the endlessness forgiveness. Are we told then to only forgive those within our group mm-hmm. and, um, and only, only let them sin against us, but everyone else, we will, um, we'll let them, you know, uh, go off into oblivion. I don't know. How do you, how do you see that? Um, yeah, I find forgiveness in particular really interesting that it's sort of this much easier recourse that we have to our own sin where we don't always have, you know, we don't have the ability to not sin, um, that is not built into us. Um, but we, and we don't have the ability to perfectly forgive either, but it's something that's much easier to push ourselves towards. Um, and it's also, uh, said to be 
completely necessary if we are to be forgiven at all. Um, and that there is this reciprocal nature to sin, uh, and forgiveness where, you know, if, if we give each other room, we can, we can take comfort in the idea that we have room, uh, to be imperfect. Um, and extending that even to, you know, strangers, you know, being, being, um, forgiving in traffic is such an easier way to live compared to stewing in your car and being so angry that someone just cut you off. Um, and, um, it's, it's soothing. It's soothing to forgive others in, in a sense that, you know, that they can be more comfortable or that you can be more comfortable, um, just feeling that you are, you are so much more able to take up the flag and, and take up this task of forgiving others than you are of um, limiting your own sin um, a lot of the time. At, at least in my experience, that's really vivid for me and something I've been trying to focus on more lately is just that um, because I do feel powerless over a lot of the bad seeds I'm sowing in my life. Um, but I don't feel nearly so powerless over, um, you know, the, the bad seed or good seed that I can sow by choosing to forgive or not forgive someone who I feel wronged by. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, like that, the way you just cast that is like perfect. And it brings up like a million different things that I want to talk about. I'm not sure we have time <laughs> to get into all of them, but Oh, the first thing that popped into my mind was like, I am terrible at forgiving people in traffic. I'm the kind of person that mm. will be uh, trying to hold back the curse words as I'm driving no, when too. somebody cuts me off. Like you little. Um, but go with God. I have to continue driving home. But um, but this aspect of forgiveness is a complicated, as you said, a complicated thing because one of the things that the Pharisees were so upset at Jesus about was that he was going around telling people that they were forgiven. He was going up to people and saying, your sins are forgiven. Mm. Um, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus would um, bestow upon people, that the kind of forgiveness that he would um, tell people that they had, I think is a kind of a different forgiveness than we as people, just people can really give each other. Mm -hmm. The kind of forgiveness that we have for each other or that we can allow for people is much more like, um, I will allow you to continue to be a part of my life. I will allow you to continue to, um, be in my circle. And that's, that's as far as your forgiveness goes, I think in this world, you're not actually absolving them of sins. This isn't like a confessional, um, but that's really complicated because the word, this is where words kind of fall apart because, mm -hmm we have to have two different words almost for the forgiveness that God has for our sins, that God's grace allows for our sins. And then the forgiveness that we have for each other when we are wronged by each other in mm -hmm. this human context. And that and just, for, for me, that even brings up, um, open relational theology. Um, because the idea that, you know, I don't feel like my, forgiving someone else is inconsequential. Um, for me, uh, I can experience that, but I think even in the context of, um, the world and that other person, um, I, I sort of have this newfound ability to believe that there is more 
to my actions and my internal world than just myself. And that's so relieving and soothing as well that if I'm making that choice to forgive someone and say, you know, bless, bless their heart, not in a Southern way, um, <laughs> not in a backhanded way, but genuinely, like if I can, um, if I can flip this coin and say, rather than, um, this person has wronged me and I'm angry, um, and I wish ill upon them. Um, <laughs> if I can say, you know, this person has wronged me and I'm angry and that really sucks for both of us. Um, and I'm not actually that angry. If I take a step back, I'm sorrowful. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that I live in a world where, people cut each other off in traffic or, um, <laughs> or, you know, where, you know, such millions times worse things happen, um, and are, are perpetrated against each other. It's, it's all too much sorrow to bear. Um, and so having that sorrow twist into anger is, is well and fine, but, um, it clouds this true, you know, potential that we have to really express that we don't want evil to be here. We don't want, we don't want this sorrow. Um, and we grieve for it and we want something better for everyone. Um, and, uh, and the idea that I can affect that in some small way, just by expressing that to, to myself and to God that, um, I want better for myself and for this other person who's wronged me. Um, you know, what a, what a healing thing just within yourself and to, to feel that that has meaning beyond just yourself. What a, what a much richer and kinder world you can choose to create for yourself and others. Um, and, and that's just how beautiful is that? That's nice. I mean, that's incredible, right? Yeah. That when we forgive each other, it actually glorifies God and pleases God that like, mm -hmm. while we may not be the ultimate like arbiters of their eternal destiny, whatever that becomes, like the way that we treat each other in this world actually has an effect on God. That God mm -hmm. is like, uh, that person, uh, you know, cussed you out and slurred you out and called you all kinds of mean things. And you were able to just kind of uh, turn your cheek and say, I forgive you. God smiles on that because you mm -hmm. didn't feed the fire. You didn't fuel that hatred. You didn't fuel that anger. You didn't make the world an uglier place. You allowed an ugly thing to fizzle out and you continue to live in a beautiful way. And that is so cool. I mean, the, the, the prospect of, of our actions actually affecting God to me is so exciting. It's so much more important. It makes faith so much more important to me yeah. uh, in, in, in that way. It's, it's really new to me. I think, I think I had heard my dad and talked about with him slightly, um, about, um, relational theology before, but it really didn't sink in for me until like this morning, <laughs> listening <laughs> to the episode with, um, with, uh, um, yeah, that, that last episode, um, it's Thomas J. Ward, right? Yeah. Thomas J. Ward. I, I've been timid to say his name, um, cause I didn't want to say it wrong, but yeah, it's, it's, incredible. I felt really light listening to that episode and, and this idea that if I conceive of sort of a, a smaller or more limited 
God, um, and not just this sort of, you know, uh, realm of infinite potential that I'm trying to tap into or, or experience nothingness with, um, if I instead, you know, view God as this force of love, uh, that is not, um, you know, able to manifest matter out of nothing and change any single event at any point in time and just chooses not to, or just allows evil to happen. Um, but that I can interact with and that will respond to me, um, and does have, you know, the ability to touch people's spirits and is connected, you know, is that, that all of our spirits are a manifestation of, of that one spirit and they're all connected through that one spirit. I, I feel great <laughs> even talking about it. It's a, it, uh, it's a really happy development for me. Um, this kind of shifts our conversation a little bit into the next section that I wanted to get to. Yeah. I, I I'd actually that... like to read it. Um, yeah, I, go for um, it. Yeah. Luke, uh, 17, five starts. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith no bigger than a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be rooted up and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or minding sheep. When he comes in from the fields, will the master say, come and sit down straight away? Will he not rather say, prepare my supper, hitch up your robe, and wait on me while I have my meal, and you can have yours afterwards? Is he grateful to the servant for carrying out his orders? So with you, when you have carried out all you have been ordered to do, you should say, we are servants and deserve no credit. We have only done our duty. That takes an interesting turn at seven. I think. It does. The, the, um, I love this idea in five and six about how even the smallest amount of faith can actually move things in this world. I struggle with that sometimes because mm -hmm. if that if that were true, um, I feel like there were certain things that could have happened in my life that would have not happened with right. my faith. Like I feel like I have faith greater than the size of a mustard seed. Although maybe, what does faith the size of a mustard seed even look like? I guess how do you how do yeah. you physically um, present faith? I actually I read. Um, the message, uh, the message version of, of this verse, or I listened to it this morning and the way they interpreted that was actually really interesting to me. Um, let's see. Yeah. So five in the message reads, uh, or, or six reads, but the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to the sycamore tree, go jump in the lake and it would do it. <laughs> um, Gotta love the message for yeah, stuff like that. Awesome. The, uh, the voice actually does something really funny here because it has a bit of dialogue where instead of, um, instead of it like playing out, this is how the conversation went. They just put the conversation in here. It says, the Lord's emissaries, we don't have enough faith for this. Help our faith to grow. And Jesus says, pointing to a nearby mulberry tree, it's not like you need a huge amount of faith. If you just had faith the size of a single tiny mustard seed, you could say to this huge tree, pull up your roots and replant yourself in the sea. And it would fly through the sky and do what you said. So even a little faith can accomplish the seemingly impossible. 
Mm-hmm. Same idea. But it's, it's, this is where um, like common language translations really help because that is a, that's a weird passage. It's powerful yeah. and it feels important, but you don't really know how to properly get at it. I don't really, um, until we read through those, I'm not sure I even really conceived of what they were talking about. The message especially did a really good job with that. Yeah. And yeah, so this portion is so open to interpretation. Um, and I feel like the gospels, especially like there is this fine line being tread between, um, a literal interpretation and saying that, you know, Jesus is speaking allegorically or or metaphorically and that, um, you know, there are a lot of miracles that we can, we can take to be, literal, um, like, like healing the lepers later, later in this chapter. Um, but, um, that also don't necessarily have to be taken literally to be meaningful or or relevant. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to say what is meant here by, you know, moving this tree, whether it, whether it means, you know, um, within, within the scope of our, our faith and what is really relevant to us, you know, we don't need to move trees. Um, but as <laughs> would be a weird as, thing to require. Yeah. yeah. Say, I, this is the thing that I need God to do for me right now. Yeah. Well, maybe landscapers, but, <laughs> um, but as far as like what we do need, um, for, for, you know, nurturing our spirit, like, like sort of the folk, the initial focus of this chapter, um, we do at times need to, uproot things and, and make these massive upheavals. Um, and it, the way I would prefer to interpret this, I think is, um, that these massive upheavals and uprootings of, of sort of established things within people are very possible through faith and that the amount of faith you have, or the, you know, how, how long you've been nurturing or growing your faith or how, big you feel it is, um, is all irrelevant and you are either expressing faith in a moment or you aren't. And when you are expressing faith, um, so much more is possible. It's almost like a liberation theology colored kind of, uh, statement there because in, in that our faith can allow us to uproot existing, um, stable existing things in the world that our faith can allow us to actually, something that may seem insurmountable, something that may seem unchangeable, injustice that may seem hard-coded into the life that we lead, our faith can actually allow us to, to change that and to move that and to throw that tree into the into the ocean, as weird mm-hmm. of an image as that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of love that. You know, I don't usually subscribe to the whole liberation theology thing because I think that it lends itself to sort of this politicized view of Christianity that I don't, I don't love just as somebody who feels tied to certain orthodoxies. I'm not even sure why it's just how I feel. (laughs) Um, but it's really cool to, to think that, um, that is, that's something that our faith is capable of. I would like to see it play out more. I would certainly as somebody who has doubt on a regular basis, I would love to see my faith literally change the things going on that upset me. Um, 
and and maybe it does and I just don't notice but mm-hmm. um it 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 gives me a feeling of a lot of potential power but I would like to see that you know be more um lived out in my life yeah well it's nice that we have a guide and we have you know the opportunity to practice and and things like um you know we have a teacher um <laughs> and uh that that things like even small things like forgiveness um and uh prayer and um it's just sort of we have we have the ability to practice this this selfless love as more of an exercise um and i think if we observe the change that that has on us um we will see more and more of it and if we try and observe um, not necessarily this direct cause and effect, um, within our own actions and our own forgiveness and prayer. But, um, you know, even, even in myself, I, I, not long ago, um, healed my relationship with my sister. Um, we, uh, hadn't really talked for, uh, maybe a year and a half or something. And I was, I felt very just deeply hurt, um, in that relationship. Um, and, uh, I, I got a new job, um, or maybe I had an interview that went really well. And I just had this whim to call her, um, and to connect with her and just have her, you know, be happy for me and congratulate me. Like I knew she would. Um, and we ended up, uh, talking for a little bit and we ended up sort of touching on this painful area, uh, of, of our relationship. Um, and just the way we are sort of worldviews, um, or a little dissonant or something. Um, but I decided to just make some room for her and, um, not even necessarily to forgive her deeply, but I think forgiveness in a form. Um, but I just made a real attempt to have her feel seen, um, and, and heard in, in her perspective. Um, and, and that her pain was real to me and, um, because I felt like that was the only thing I could do, um, other than continuing to sort of stew or be hurt or be closed off. Um, the only option I had available to me was just to hold space for her. Um, and directly, uh, so directly within that moment and in that conversation, it shifted everything where she finally wasn't scared that, because I took this risk of seeing her without the knowledge that I would be seen in return. Um, and, and I just stepped past that fear that I would no longer be able to access like any sort of representation of my views or my worldview or, um, the way I've been hurt. Um, I, I turned the other cheek and, um, it really changed everything. And, and she, through feeling seen was able to, have that same space for me. Um, but it took this, uh, choice, um, and this, this act, um, and I, I don't say any of this to gloat, but uh, it's, it was a really, um, touching experience for me. And, and I feel like it's, um, so relevant to sort of my, my recent, uh, steps with faith. That is, um, that's really beautiful. I mean, it's, it's something that like, I guess I kind of 
in that saying, well, I wish my faith could be more, I, I, I wish I felt like my faith could be more powerful in my life and I wish I could change more things in my life. Maybe the issue then is this something I, I touched on, the episode I'm gonna be releasing today with um, Jake Bellows, we talked about how um, the, the beauty and the grace and the love of God, the, the incredible things in this world are always around us at all times. The miracles are happening constantly. It is up to us to hear them and perceive them and appreciate them, to feel like, um, to feel understanding of it's like this is, it's pouring out on us at all times. It doesn't actually stop. It's our perspective that actually keeps us from understanding like how beautiful everything actually is for us. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I should I should dial back my frustration, I guess a little bit and humble myself uh, in feeling like I can't move mountains because there may have been mountains I've already moved that I mm-hmm. don't know about that I just simply wasn't perceiving well enough that my faith allowed. Um, I mean, I think that's really beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm just smiling. <laughs> I just had like a moment there. <laughs> um, so let's touch for a second on the, the, the servant. Um, yeah, bit. I was thinking that as well. It's, it's kind of weird. I didn't love it as a metaphor because mm-hmm. of the fraught kind of language servant and master has yeah. a very like slave-like connotation and obviously being American, there's like all of this weird tied up, uh, you know, guilt and, and feeling about slavery and servanthood and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ultimately the, the message is don't expect to be, don't expect to be glorified for simply doing exactly what it is that God asks you to do. Um, you may be rewarded in some way or another, but it's not going to be like, you're going to get it. It's like, this is like the same thing as like boomers saying that everybody gets a participation trophy. Right. (laughs) Right. Maybe there's something to it. Jesus is coming off as a bit of a boomer here, I think. Yeah. (laughs) I think, um, I think probably the servant thing, it was just like such a, it was like a really easy grasping point for the audience uh, that this was written for. And, and it was just like, oh, yeah, servant master. Totally makes sense. I have one of those. Or like, yeah, I am like one that. of those. Yeah, yeah I am one of those. And I, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's also, it feels very uncharitable almost. Um, there's, I feel like there's a lot of the gospel that um, feels like a bit of a like sit down shut up um (laughs) and um i think that can be good i I think it really depends on the person whether that helps them or not uh to to connect with the message um and for me like it's it's a lot easier you know maybe uh, i'm too used to I'm too much of a zoomer and I'm too used to the participation trophies, but it's a lot easier for me to like, um, receive a message if it is compassionate or, or acknowledging, um, an experience of mine, um, in a compassionate way. And it's easier for me to like take in this message if I, if I view it more as like, you know, this is, 
its own reward. Um, so don't, don't sit there expecting to feel completely different when you practice, when you have that sense that you've, you've done well and you've, you've done your work and you've practiced the right things, um, and that you've nurtured your spirit, you're not going to feel much more, you're not going to get much more out of it than just that feeling and just that nurturing of your spirit. Um, but you know, it's, it, yeah, it just, that it's not gonna, it's not gonna feel like you've moved a mountain. Um, but you will have that sense of satisfaction of, of a day's work maybe. Um, yeah. This kind of ties into the repeated theme of humility that, that Jesus preaches over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Do not look for your own glory. Do not seek your own uh, um, reward. The reward will be handed to you when it's good and ready. Um, continue to work towards what you ought to work towards. Be loving, be humble, be gentle, be kind, be devoted, but do not turn around and look at dad and go, did I do good? Like, can I get my candy now? Like it's, um, it's a good message overall, but it is kind of like, it comes off a little stern. Like, what do you want to, you want a cookie for what you did? (laughs) Come on now. Uh, it's, there are bits of the Bible that capitalists love to pull out and love to say like, uh, this is, see, what do you want? You show up to work, you do your job, you don't get a bonus, all right? Uh, I don't know why this capitalist is from Queens, but this is just how I'm <laughs> framing it right now. But um, I don't really know that necessarily this is that message. I think it's more about faith being a reward in and of itself. And and it actually kind of ties back to the bit about moving a tree into the, into the sea because... Um, your faith is powerful. It is powerful in that it's faith. And that time will come where the tree will be moved if you demand it to be moved. But um, it's not always going to be that you can show up, say your prayers, uh, do your job, um, glory be, our Father, Hail Mary, whatever. And then, you know, you get the the golden chalice at the end of it. It's just not like that. That's not how faith works. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I don't have much more intelligent to say about this particular section about the unworthy servants because yeah. um, I don't know. It's almost like the, um, <laughs> the, the master is portraying it this way. Uh, makes me picture God as like a reclining, um, like plantation owner or something. And I hate that. That's like not what's happening here. But it, the way that this is cast is like, I'm just sitting here eating grapes while everyone else labors around me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little alienating for it to like refer to that role. Yeah. Um, I am. Um, I did want to mention just that this uh, in in the other gospels, like this moment, uh, I, I found out through the footnotes, um, is the, the chapter where, um, the iconic, like if your eye causes you to sin, gadget out, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Um, 
that, that this is the chapter in the moment where, where that comes from. Um, it, uh, you know, for one thing, it's interesting to me that that's not in Luke. Um, and that it, <laughs> it, it's maybe not necessarily the, uh, most powerful metaphor for sin and maybe should not be necessarily the, the sort of touchstone for Christian perspective on sin. Um, just that it speaks to this sort of, um, I mean, it speaks to that same, like, intense priority of the spirit over the body or over the mind. Um, but it is sort of even harsher, um, as a, as a term. I mean, I guess like if a guy causes a, sin, a kid to sin, it, he'd be better off drowning himself is pretty extreme too. But, <laughs> um, yeah. What do you, what do you think about sort of that, that verse? Well, the, um, I think being the being the part of uh, someone's life that causes them to sin actually, in a way, is worse than being sinned against, um, mm. because you are perpetuating the toxic or evil or terrible things in their life, um, and you're making them worse. And this is against someone else. I mean, we we encourage ourselves to sin in all kinds of ways. This is like dopamine and serotonin, right? Like if, if it, this is circling right back to where we started and talking about if things feel good, then, then do it. Um, that's not inherently sinful, mind you, but it's also not inherently good. But uh, the, the fact that we can be a factor in someone else's sin is terrifying to me that we can be mm-hmm. the reason why we can hand someone the gun. You know, we can be the reason why that they they perpetuate this like terrible thing in their lives or they act in a way that is super damaging to themselves or to other people. I mean, I think that's awful. And um, also, I, I don't love the metaphor about like cutting out your eye if it causes you to sin. I mean, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I love... The, the, the preachings of Jesus in general, there are certain little aspects of it that I don't super love because I feel like it, it, um, it's, it can be very absolute sometimes. Mm-hmm. It can be very, um, it lacks a little nuance. Uh, and, and of course, this is scripture, so um, it's nothing but nuance, or at least it ought not be nothing but nuance. We, mm-hmm. we, are, we, we shouldn't be certain about anything in this book, Yeah, really. And the, the interplay between each little chunk is so important. Um, like that, that everything contextualizes everything and, um, you really need to be a theologian. Um, (laughs) you are called to be a theologian. Um, if you are to, to not live in this space of, um, just morality and ritual, um, uh, it, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no easy way to read the Bible, um, and to understand it clearly, or, you know, it's, it's easy to read the Bible. Literally, it's easy to be provoked by the Bible and to get thinking. Um, and you know, it's, it's not always the easiest to initiate, but it gets easier and easier. Um, you know, I don't necessarily open my Bible all that often. Um, uh, outside of when I sort of feel prompted to, um, but you know, I've been, I've been taking baby steps with it. Um, and it is a little easier now. Um, 
But um, as far as feeling like you really understand um, what's going on, I mean, you do need to speak Greek. <laughs> you do you do need to like spend um, many many years um, just drawing these these connections and, and this context. There was something that we've been talking a lot about Thomas J. Ord on this episode, so I'll just bring him up again. Mm-hmm. There was something that he said about not being certain that there is a God, but behaving as though that is the case. And we kind of chuckled that the people who are absolutely certain that God exists are probably the people to be afraid of because they're <laughs> they're already enough certain in their heads of something that they can absolutely never prove that what else are they going to be certain of? And yeah. I think I think we should operate the same way about the Bible. I love this book. Like with my whole heart, I cannot believe that I lived so much of my life not engaging with this. It's so amazing, but it befuddles me on a constant basis. <laughs> it is absolutely yeah. and totally so vague and so difficult to understand. And that's why I have four different translations in front of me right now, because there, there's so many cases where I read something and I go, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what am I supposed to take from this? And, and thankfully, occasionally I figure out kind of, uh, uh, an understanding of it that makes sense to me, but I don't always. Yeah. And, and, um, but it's a blessing. I mean, it really is. This is, um, even if you're not taking the Bible as a direct and absolute rule book, even if you're not taking the Bible as a, um, inerrant, uh, word of God speaking to you absolutely every day directly, you can take it as something that, uh, will be challenging and intellectually stimulating and something that the more you read it may actually improve your life. Uh, this is my advertisement for the Bible, everyone. Mm-hmm. I play the little theme music at the end. <laughs> I think it's a great event. <laughs> um, okay. Well, you are coming on the show for a second time, which means mm-hmm. you are going to pray with me today. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. So, Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, we decided to pray. Uh, so June is the month of the Sacred Heart. Uh, I wish I knew more about this tradition, and I'm sorry for sounding ignorant about it, but I know that I have a little um, Catholic Prayers Rosary app on my phone, and every month it will tell me which litanies and which um, novenas and, and other prayers that we read during this month. And so this month pops up the Sacred Heart. So... Um, we are going to read the Litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Before we do this, uh, you want to plug anything? Um, no. Uh, Christian Smingle is on hi- hiatus still. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a fun show. We've got a couple episodes up. But, uh, um, yeah, you can find it on um, soundcloud uh for sure i don't i I don't honestly remember super clearly but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's good if anyone hasn't checked it out it's a it's a fun it's a really fun show and i hope that someday it will come off of hiatus and you'll make more 
Yeah. Most well, I would like to plug episode 15 of this show. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also the episode with Nick, who's my co-host on Christian Smingle. Um, I think those are, are both good episodes and definitely with how much we've referenced the Thomas J. Ward episode, um, definitely check that one out. It's uh, fantastic. So on Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible, we're plugging Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. Well, I am, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, there's a little introduction um, on my app that has um, an explanation. It's kind of convoluted of where this was, uh, where this prayer was synthesized and how it all came together. But basically, what it says is the um, the prayer is 33 invocations. And this is the invocation is the calling out to Jesus. Um, and 33 obviously is significant because Jesus lived 33 years. So, uh, Nadia, you were going to lead this. So mm-hmm. go ahead and start whenever you're ready. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, hear us. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, Son of the Eternal Father, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, formed by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mother, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, substantially united to the Word of God, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, of infinite majesty, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, sacred temple of God, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, Tabernacle of the Most High, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, House of God and Gate of Heaven, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, Burning Furnace of Charity, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, Abode of Justice and Love, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, Full of Goodness and Love, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, abyss of all virtues, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, most worthy of all praise, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, king and center of all hearts, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, in whom are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, in whom dwells the fullness of divinity, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, in whom the Father was well pleased, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, of whose fullness we have all received, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, desire of the everlasting hills, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, patient and most merciful, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, enriching all who invoke thee, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, fountain of life and holiness, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, propitiation for our sins, 
have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, loaded down with opprobrium, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, bruised for our offenses, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, obedient to death, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, pierced with a lance, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, source of all consolation, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, our life and resurrection, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, our peace and our reconciliation, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, victim for our sins, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, salvation of those who trust in thee, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, hope of those who die in thee, have mercy on us. Heart of Jesus, delight of all the saints, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, have mercy on us, O Lord. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like to thine. Let us pray. Almighty and eternal God, look upon the heart of thy most beloved Son and upon the praises and satisfaction which he offers thee in the name of sinners and to those who implore thy mercy. In thy great goodness, grant forgiveness in the name of the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, who livest and reignest with thee forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Come praise the Lord, for he is good. Come join in love and the brotherhood. We'll hear the word and bring our gifts of bread and wine. And we'll be blessed beneath this sign. So let us pray together, pray together, pray with one mighty voice. And let us sing together, sing together, pray and we'll rejoice.